very warm welcome to you all, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, good to have you on board for this, the Football Attic Podcast. Uh, my name's Chris Oakley. I deliberately left the word kit out of the title there for very good reason, and that is because uh, myself and Rich Johnson have decided, just on a one-off basis for the sheer hell of it, uh, that we're going to record an old-style Football Attic Podcast all about football nostalgia uh, rather than talk about kits, although we might do a very quick update at the end about uh, uh, you know, from the last uh, Football Attic kit podcast and that sort of thing. Um, but as it is, we're here to talk about football nostalgia. And Rich Johnson, how are you? I'm very good, mate. Yeah, I thought it would be good to get nostalgic about nostalgia. I think Terry suggested that, Mr. DeFellin. Yeah, she's, <laughs> when, we, when we put ideas out there, you put something along the lines of uh, how about nostalgia for old like nostalgia sites and things. Indeed. Well, you know, he's a witty boy. Is our old Terry? uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, um, what can we say? Stereotypical to the last, but um, but we know our strengths. Uh, (laughs) I'm not sure we're going to be making that. Not sure we're going to be making this a kind of regular thing, but we just thought we'd make a nice change and just for the sheer hell of it, just do do what we used to do. Um, Trouble is, of course, is that um, part of the reason why we stopped doing these podcasts in the first place a couple of years ago is because um, we sort of ran out of strong subjects to cover. Uh, We had suggestions way back in the day, things like talking about football stadia and football boots. But, you know... um, I'm a bit of a sort of fair weather football fan. There we are. I've admitted it. And, and as far as football boots are concerned, well, I only ever used to play over at the park and probably just wearing my trainer. So I'm not much of an expert on football boots either. So, um, the question was what to talk about. And, um, well, we've come up with a, with a scheme for this podcast. We are naming this podcast old versus new. And the reason for that is that we're taking different elements from, uh, football and we're going to look at them and compare the various topics that we're looking at uh, with regards to old-fashioned football uh, from years gone by and modern-day football. <coughs> we're going to assess the merits of both, and we're going to try, I assure you, we are going to try and be balanced in our views as best we can, because I know what you're all thinking. You're all thinking, yeah, you're football nostalgia fans, so you're going to go for the old stuff every time. Well, I think you might be surprised. That's all I'm saying. All right? So anyway... We've got lots of topics to discuss, lots to cram in. So, Rich, why don't you start us off with our first topic and give us your views on said topic? Well, the the obvious, uh, I think as we described it, elephant in the room for any kind of old versus new is obviously going to be the Premiership, uh, specifically. But we're actually going to expand that slightly into just the league. So, the English Football League, by which I don't mean the EFL, as it's now been pathetically rebranded, and therefore the lower leagues mm-hmm. and not the Premiership, but I mean the whole league structure. So, in effect, divisions one to four, as it used to be back in our day, eh, lad? Um, so oh, that's yeah. that's the, the 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 sort of the obvious one to go for. So we're going to get that out of the way first. So the league or the Premier League, if you want, but generally the whole league structure, as I said. <laughs> um, so what do I think about that? Well, hmm. I. Yeah, it's an obvious one to go about. And, yeah, the Premier League has ruined football, which I, like I say, I still don't actually hold truck with that particular opinion. I think the Champions League has ruined a lot more than that, um, which I wrote about in a post once. Go back and find it. It was very good, very informative, and uh, <laughs> highly opinionated. Um, so I, I, it's hard to say because when you look back, I obviously have great fond nostalgia for the old league structure. I, I liked the days when Division 4 was a bunch of bricklayers, you know, on part-time contracts and things like that. And and they kind of felt like a... 
I don't know. They felt like a much more. They felt more of an equality, and it felt less about the money, which is obviously because there was a lot less money involved. Um, and of hmm. course, that's why the Premier League was created because they weren't getting. They wanted a bigger share of things for themselves. So it's 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 hard to look at it and not feel nostalgic and not feel that the old days were better. However, the standard of football, I would have to say, in the Premier League is probably way above what it ever used to be. Um, mm. Now, you can argue with that because the amount of foreign players, and, and that's another aspect, you know, there are too many foreign players in the thing, and, and does it feel like an English league? Well, it's it's changed. It's, it's, it's moved with the world. You know, the, the world is a lot smaller place these days. Not physically, it's still the same old size it was. Um, <laughs> but in, in terms of like international boundaries and things like that, the world is a much smaller place. The internet has helped change that. Um, so, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough one because, like I say, the quality of football, I would say, is better. You know, And I think anyone that thinks the quality of football was better in the old days is probably a little bit misguided. I mean, they might think that, for instance, if you go back to the 70s, I would say all of the football in the 70s was absolutely rubbish. <laughs> I, I don't mean that, obviously. But, I mean, so it's it's different. That's the thing. It's different football mm. because it's like, you know, in the 70s, it was perfectly acceptable to literally chop someone's legs off with a machete um, within seconds of, of kickoff and then conduct gangland-style killings on in the goal mouth, you know, um, so long as you shook hands afterwards, unless you'd removed the guy's hands. I think I'm not. I'm a bit hazy on the seventies, um, but obviously it's different now. You know, you, players are a lot more protected, but it's a lot more. I would say it's a lot more skillful. You know, you, I, I don't think anyone can deny there's a lot more skill these days, and the physical fitness of the players is, is a damn sight better. Especially like compared with the eighties when everyone was down the boozer. You know, it's it's a, it's a different world, and that's the thing. Is it better? I, I I would say if you're a kid growing up now, I would say surely it's much more exciting. Um, because hmm. there's a lot more skill on show. Do I think it's better? Oh, I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit this one out. I'm gonna hear your opinions first, Chris. All right, fair enough. All right, um, uh, I, I would say first of all, just on a technical level, that um, the one thing that um, always intrigues me is the whole reason why every few few seasons we've had the whole league structure renamed. So it used to be obviously division one, two, three, four. You knew where you stood with that. And then, you know, it just kept changing to the point now we've got Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two. And, <coughs> and the part of me is irritated just by that. Um, however, of course, it's partly done to sort of obscure the, 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 the fact with smoke and mirrors that, um, you know, if you sort of say someone, I play in tier four of, uh, English football, they go, oh, tier four. But if you say, I play in league two, sounds a bit more impressive. Sounds like you're only in the second tier. So I can see why that's all done. But, um, just on that level, I've, I just wanted to make that point clear that I just kind of, I preferred it when it's straightforward, one, two, three, four. Uh, anyway, that, putting that to one side. Um, yeah. It's interesting, actually, the point you make about players being fitter and stuff like that, because when you get a bunch of blokes, let's say, typically, in a pub talking about football from the old days, they'll say, oh, do you remember in the 1970s when you know players were in the pub up until like 2.45 on a Saturday afternoon, and then 15 minutes later, they're out on the pitch, and you think, okay, and so the so the, the nostalgic view on that is, well, you know, it was a, it was a much 
in a much more innocent time when players could do that. But the other side of the coin that nobody ever talks about is the fact that people were willingly paying much of their hard-earned cash to get a ticket to watch men who, up until 15 minutes before kickoff, were actually necking as much alcohol as they possibly could. No one ever stops to sort of think about that. And I just sort of think, hmm... Yeah, uh, and the game was a lot slower back then as a result, probably because of said intake of alcohol. <laughs> um, so it's not, I, th- I think you have to sort of applaud the players and, I mean, the clubs generally, I suppose, for their commitment to making sure that players are, uh, are fit enough, physically fit enough to be able to deal with the rigours of, of modern day football. But the, the, another downside, unfortunately, is that everything's got a lot more kind of critical really in terms of like no no players have got more than like two seconds on the ball before he's got three players around him trying to get the ball off of him the man marking is very close uh so it's it's all got a bit more kind of uh, sort of tense in some ways and 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 there isn't as much free flow of sort of passing as there used to be in my view but um do i prefer it i don't know i think i'm I'd, speaking as a fair weather player and a, a largely an armchair football fan, really, um, I did prefer it back in the old days when players had more time on the ball because at least then you had the chance to assess kind of who was playing where on the pitch, what the tactics generally were, and who, you know the, the the sort of positional play and all of that sort of stuff. Um, all right, that, so the players were sort of abusing their um, privileges by um, not not doing much training, probably. And yeah, going down the pub and stuff like that. But uh, I don't know. I think it just shades it for me. But I'm, I'm, maybe this this conversation isn't quite over. Have you had a chance to ruminate? <laughs> yeah, the first thing I thought of was I might call a draw in my head because like, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I think I think the biggest thing in my, that I'm thinking is it's a bit like realistically comparing oranges and apples because they're yeah. completely different. You know, the the, yes. the league now. Is, is not the same animal it used to be. So it's, is it necessarily fair to compare them? Well, yes, it is because we have to, because we've decided we're going to. So, um, <laughs> I don't know because like, I, I, I don't think you can argue that the football is better. I mean, you could, well, mm. some people might, but then I think that's possibly rose tinted. I think, you know, that the technicalities and the skills is, I would say, is surely you know, above what it used to be, especially say in the, you know, when I was watching it in the eighties, I mean, there was an awful lot of games on that I used to watch, which were very, very turgid. Not that that doesn't happen mm. now, of course, you know, Man City versus Man U the other day, that was awful. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm tempted to sort of cop out and call it a draw for me. Cause I think the yeah. different things, I have a, a great deal of nostalgia for football in the old days and I liked it. And I'm, I'm, I'm Risk it sounding like a U-kipper here. <laughs> um, but I'm sure Shaky would be delighted with that. Um, but I, I kind of I liked the idea when when the English league was was full of English people because not because I have anything against foreigners because I don't. Oh my god, I said the foreigners. <laughs> I'm sounding worse by the second. As <laughs> I don't, I really don't. I love I love you guys uh, and girls and just stop talking. Um, <laughs> But I, I think there was. A, I think you felt a better yeah. connection with it. But that's probably just because that's what I grew up with. I think kids nowadays mm. will have that same connection that we had, but they'll have their connection to their team rather than kind of recognizing the names because they they do recognize the names. It's just again the world has changed, so it's mm. hard to look at this through you know through the eyes of someone who would be experiencing this as their experience of football. So. 
Mm. I, I don't know though. I still, I still have a very big nostalgic sense of all the football I used to watch as a child. But was it better? Well, do you know what? Um, go on. What were you going to say? Uh, no, I was just going to say. Do you know what? I think in some ways you've um, swayed me to sort of think that it's this one should be a draw as well because. Um, the thing that's often said about 1970s football and stuff like that, 1960s, is, oh, the players, they had such skill back then, you know, your George Bests and all the rest of it. And they did, but they were able to, I think, <laughs> looking for balance on this, they were able to get that sense of sort of superstardom because of the um, shortcomings in terms of skill of the players they were playing against, like the defenders who... You, you, I tell you, you don't have to look very hard to, on, you know, looking for YouTube clips and stuff like that of old football footage. You can, I'm sorry to be harsh about this, but you can see how inept some of the defenders were back in those days, as in, oh, look, he's just gone past me, that attacker. Oh, oh I don't think I'll bother chasing after him. He'll probably score anyway. A bit of that going on. So it's a bit sort of horses for courses. And as you, I think, as you quite rightly say, it's like comparing two different things and, and, that would be unfair. That was the football of then, and the football of now is actually it's the same sport, obviously, and all that, but it's kind of played differently with different priorities and criteria about how to be successful at it. So, um, yeah, well, I think we might have to call this one a draw. I, I agree. I think mean, it's oh man, it's such, it feels like such a cop out, but I, I'm just going <laughs> with what I, I feel. I don't like I say. I just think they're too different to actually determine that one is definitely better than the other. Sorry, nostalgia yes. fans. We don't hate the, the modern day, the modern game. Yeah, no. I did say that we were going to try and be balanced, and indeed, I think we've made a start. That's about as balanced as you can get. Cause, yep. um we've called it a draw. And and right, so we move on to the second, which is non-league, where I think the uh, the idea of balance is probably going to go out the window for me. So, but hey, it's our podcast; we can do what <laughs> we want. So, uh, God, do you want to give me your views on non-league first? So we're talking. Well, well, when I when I put non-league, I was talking. I'm I'm I suppose I'm thinking more what was the conference and which I think is now the National League, but obviously the structure mm. below it as well. Yeah. Well, I just think actually um, one thing to be applauded about the sort of modern era of British football, at least, is that the non-league structure is uh, has far higher prominence th- these days. And I think that's because football fans... <coughs> To some extent, have probably got a little bit disenchanted with the, your, your Premier Leagues and Champions Leagues and all that sort of thing. So, therefore, they've been looking for other options. And obviously, it's investigating and finding out about your local team is one way of doing that. And I think a lot of people have found themselves getting a lot more interested in non-league. The your media in in the UK, I think, has picked up on that now, and it's discussed a lot more in newspapers and such. Like it's it's, um, and I think that's great because. You know, there's a whole structure there. There's no reason why non-league football should really be treated like it's insignificant because it's serving a purpose for people who want that level of football, who want to be more connected with football. So the fact is that it's, like I say, it's got a lot more exposure now. I remember when, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, I knew hardly anything of non-league football. I mean, I don't know a lot now, admittedly, but I mean, back then when I was a kid, the only time you would see maybe about four non-league teams mentioned every week was when you were looking at the classified results on Grandstand on BBC TV on a Saturday afternoon 
If you were lucky when they were going through all the matches that appeared on the pools coupon for that weekend, you might see a mention of somebody like Enfield or something like that. And I'll be honest, it gave me a frisson of excitement because it was like hearing about a foreign team or some continental team that you'd never heard of. And but that was about as far as it went. It was a, you know Enfield one Gateshead nil or something, and then and literally it was like two matches might be mentioned, and that was about all you were going to get. And until the following weekend, that was that. Uh, but nowadays there's a much there's a, there's a lot more interested in in that sort of thing, and I think you know all power to it. So what do you think? I I'm I agree, um, and I I think the like you say the prominence of non-league is is far higher than it ever was, and I think due to social media, I think there's a much um, I think social media is a great way for non-league teams to actually connect with people because it's easy enough to set up a Twitter account or a Facebook page and you can actually have people connecting better rather so you can get your mm. word out there you can get your prominence out there the thing I'm struggling with though and it's like I say this is where balance goes out the window is that I'm sorry but it should be called the GM Voxel Conference <laughs> <laughs> oh here we go back to I'm, technical I, naming yeah. I just yeah I, the National League is just wrong and it, but it's like you said about the rebranding I mean it, the funny thing is when they rebranded the uh, what was it used to be um, what, did it, what was it actually called uh, the like the Championship when, and League 1 and League 2 I can't even remember what it used to be called when it first it was just Division 1, 2 and 3 wasn't it I think it was when they yeah when it was they just a nationwide the nationwide conference no I'm, th- no, I'm thinking of the um, uh, path beyond the Premiership. So when when the first when we first had the Premiership, I was thinking like divisions two, three, and four just got renamed to division one, two, and three. Um, and when they yeah. rebranded that to the Championship, and especially because it was Coca Cola as well, I, I kind of like yeah. I, I took I took almost offence at that because it just sounded really cheesy, and it it just felt like they were trying to go, oh no, this is the top division, you know, it's like kind of of our little league, and it's just like it almost reinforced <laughs> the the sort of sadness of it all. But actually. I think it worked, and I, I, I hated to admit it, but actually I think it, ridiculously, it did kind of feel that the championship actually was something to achieve then. Because it wasn't just, mm. it wasn't just the league below to get into the premiership. It was now the championship. And it, it sounds ridiculous that this just naming it the championship should make a difference, but it did feel different. However, yeah. with naming it the national league, I know, I understand the point because they're trying to give it a sort of league feel uh, because, there's long been an argument that basically the conference should have just been called Division Five because it in effect was. I mean, it's, mm. I, I believe it, it it wasn't fully professional, and I don't know if it is now. But half of the teams in the old Division Four weren't fully professional. A lot of them were only you know semi-professional. Um, yeah. But I just I don't I, it just feels a bit desperate, like calling it the National mm. League. It's like no, we, we are a league. You know, we are part of the league, and it's like well, you're not though. And I just, I just like the conference. A conference was like, see, the reason I liked the word conference was because it was unique. It was unique to non-league football. It didn't feel like yeah. it was trying to be part of the league. It was like, this is non-league. This is the conference. You know, we all knew what it meant. Whereas now, National <laughs> League, and especially Vanarama. Sorry, I know it's only a sponsor, but you know, it's, it's uh, just uh, it's, pretty crap. Doesn't, doesn't, yeah, it just sounds lame. <laughs> it's a bit like you know the Auto Windscreens Trophy and Checker Trade <laughs> Trophy. Although that <laughs> is actually a really good competition, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well worthy for for winning. Um, so, but at the same time, I think 
your point about the, the prominence of non-league now, I, I think it, I think it would be hard to argue that non-league is not better these days. I would say non-league is in much better health due to the modern game, funnily enough, and the and, and the modern world than than it ever was. So I would have to say on this one, modern wins. Modern does win in my view as well. So I think we have a uh, a consensus there and. Again, further proof that this isn't going to be completely railroaded in uh, in the uh, uh, direction of nostalgia. We're more than, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> anyway, so so we've had one draw and we've had one win for modern day football. What have we got next, Rich? We have domestic cup competitions. Specifically, we are talking for... Well, actually, I'm talking because I'm not going to include... Oh, actually, no, we, we will include... <laughs> I was going to say we won't include Scotland. But then I thought, oh, God, then, then it would be like, should we include the Wales Cup or the the, uh, the Northern <laughs> Irish Cup or the... You know, and that's how far do you want to go? So I'm just talking about things that I remember. So we can include the Scottish Cup and the actual the Scottish League Cup because I remember those. I don't remember any Cups of Wales from my childhood, sorry. Wales peoples, Wales yes. peoples, Welsh people, <laughs> and and this is not part of my anti-Welsh thing. I love the Welsh. Um, I I just I don't don't didn't really follow Welsh football as a child, so sorry. Yeah. Um, so we're talking FA Cup, League Cup, um, and we can cover the you know the Checker Trade Trophy level if we really have to. Um, but then obviously mm. the Scottish Cup and the uh, Scottish League Cup. So I will go yes. first. Purely because right I, uh, I want to. Because um, you can. <laughs> yes. Um, I I would have to say that this is a win for old. Um, because <laughs> I think, and I don't know many people, I don't know if many people would disagree that I think the FA Cup is a, is, is a shadow of its former self. Um, the League Cup is almost an irrelevance. Um, but it seems to have gained a bit of a bit more prominence in the last few years, but it still just doesn't feel like it used to. Um, yeah. And well, the Checker Trade Trophy, that kind of level, has always felt like a bit of a, you know, non-entity really for for the top mm-hmm. clubs. But but that said, when you're down there and you get a chance to go to Wembley and you take forty three thousand with you, you don't really care because it's actually really <laughs> nice to have that and to win. Um, so, <laughs> but I, I, I honestly cannot help but feel that domestic cup competitions were better in the old days because they meant something you know if you won the fa cup that was a massive thing now if you win it it's just like oh it's the fa cup you know that what what will that do that will keep arsene wenger in a job for another 12 months possibly you know and that's all it matters but it it used to be a massive thing you know winning the league was massive winning the fa cup was massive winning the league uh, the league cup was not as as massive, but it was still a big bloody thing, you know. You think mm-hmm. the likes of Luton and Oxford won it, and it was a great competition for for smaller clubs because I think even back then probably the bigger clubs didn't take it as seriously. But even then, you had some great finals like Luton and Arsenal, wasn't it? And I'm sure Liverpool and Arsenal played. Um, yeah. So you had some cracking finals, and like I say, it's just it, they're not what they were. They they're not as valuable as they were nowadays. As I've said this before, when we used to do the old Attic podcast, finishing fourth in the Premier League is considered more important than winning the FA Cup. In fact, I actually heard the, the pundits the other day saying, I think they were talking about Tottenham, and they were saying, oh, well, they, oh no, actually, they were talking about Arsenal. And they were saying that, oh, well, you know, obviously finishing fourth in the league would be a much better achievement than winning the, the FA Cup. You know, they'd rather swap that and almost to the point of, well, they might not even bother playing a full strength side in the semi final of the FA Cup. And you're just thinking, 
what what kind of world is this where like the FA Cup, the <laughs> premier, the the premier domestic cup competition in this country is now not even worth finishing fourth in the league? But the, mm. hence why I actually think the Champions League has ruined a lot of uh, football. But that's another thing. And <laughs> the League Cup used to mean something as well. And, and I think part of what added to the League Cup's allure, or the Littlewoods Cup as it was when I was first there, were <laughs> Milk Cup, Littlewoods Cup, Hooray! Rumblow's Cup. Uh, Rumblow's Cup, I have to say, made it sound cack. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Littlewoods Cup as it was, which was a nice trophy as well. Um, when I was a kid, that used to be played in April, I think it was, early April, the final was played in April. Mm, that's right, um, yes. And it, So it felt like an end-of-season cup competition, admittedly not as late as the rest, but it still felt like you know a cup competition you'd built up to. And then slowly that moved back to like February, and it's like February is not a time for a cup final. That, that, that <laughs> kind of just really devalued it. And I believe in Scotland it's played before Christmas, isn't it? Out of the way by like November or something. Yeah, I think it's ridiculous. Right. I mean, okay, yes, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot fewer teams in the Scottish League, but either way, you know. <laughs> and I think the Scottish Cup seems to be seems to still hold a lot of kudos in Scotland, but I suppose it will hold a lot more. Um, I suppose kudos in Scotland because the likelihood of you winning the the Scottish Cup is a lot higher than the, of, of any team other than Celtic winning the Scottish League. You know, no one's yeah. going to do that, especially at the moment. Rangers might, Aberdeen have threatened to do it, but realistically, it, unless you're in the old days, unless you were part of Celtic and Rangers, and occasionally someone else, very very rarely, you know, you had no chance of winning the league. So in in Scotland, the Scottish FA, the yeah, the Scottish Cup is still. I would say, regarded as a big thing, because it still actually means something to win it, because it could be the only yeah. thing you're ever going to win. Um, <laughs> but the, like the Scottish League Cup, what's the point? You know, it's just it's played in mm. November or something. Just ugh, how can you? How can you? Ever, I don't. To be honest, I don't know when the Scottish uh, League Cup ever used to finish, because I didn't. No. I wasn't really aware of it as a child. But it, again, it just seems you know a cup competition should not be finishing in November. You know, like two two or three months after the season started. Sorry, that's my opinion. So there we go. So for me, it's a definite old. Yes. Um, I think I'm going to be agreeing on this one. Um, uh, where shall I start on this? Um, well, FA Cup. Let's start with the FA Cup. Um, I, I just, as you say, it just seemed to mean something really back in, say, in the 70s and 80s. Um, and... I'm just trying to think why that would be, because I don't remember anybody back then sort of saying, well, you know, we've got other priorities. Because, I mean, I can just remember managers like Bill Shankly and blah, 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 you know, and, and Brian Clough sort of basically saying something to the effect of, this is our bread and butter. This is, this, these are the trophies that the fans want our team to win. So therefore, we're going to put out a strong side. And we are, we intend to try and win this competition. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's funny where you mentioned about the, you know, finishing in the top four to get into Europe and that that's kind of become the, 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 uh, the priority almost. Uh, over here in New Zealand, um, one of the channels that I have access to is, um, Be In Sports, which kind of show a lot of, sort of skies material and that sort of thing. And um, I was watching yesterday, I think it was yesterday or day before yesterday, Man City playing Man United. And um, they played a trailer before the match started. It said, the race for fourth. And you think, <laughs> oh, for 
God's sake. <clears throat> Imagine that in a Formula One, you know, before a Formula One race. <laughs> yeah. you know, we're going to concentrate the team, the cars that finished third and fourth. Oh, well, wow. That's the thing as well. It's like when you, you know. look back at, in history, it's like, you know, no one ever records who won fourth. You know, like when you look back at the domestic records, you'll see this person won the league, this person won the FA Cup. And, and this team did this. It's like, you won't say, oh, well, who finished fourth that year? It's like, and the <laughs> yeah. stupid thing is, if, uh, for teams like Arsenal, this is, there's no point in finishing fourth. Yes, it gets you into the Champions League, but then you won't win that. So what's the point, you know, other than money? Yeah. But then oh, that's yeah. a separate subject. So fulfilling prophecy, really. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Um, so um, I think possibly the reason why the FA Cup and the League Cup had more prominence back in the days because they didn't have the distraction of, um, lots of teams trying to get into European competition. Even that, though, I mean, I suppose back in the day, I mean, I, I won't go into this too much because I think we're coming on to this soon, but you had three European competitions. But I don't know. I think just, I, I think teams are a bit more connected with their history back then and they and, and therefore wanted to add their name to the role of honour of these competitions. Whereas nowadays they kind of say that they're, um, you know, connected with their history and they're wanting to kind of do their heritage proud. But I think in the, at the end of the day, it's the accountants at a lot of the clubs that are kind of having the final say on this. And it's like, well, actually, maybe you want, might want to throw some of the kids out to play in this, uh, you know, League Cup third round tie against Stockport County. No offence, Stockport County, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and see, there was a lot of, um, oh, what shall we say, a lot of introspective cogitation going on i remember a few years ago about um like the league cup and the fact that team that some of the bigger teams were putting out weakened sides and is this right and is this wrong you know lots of the young players academy players were getting the chance to play and a lot of these sort of hipster community i think were sort of saying well yes but um they're entitled to do that because they've got a, a large squad you know man united arsenal liverpool whoever they've got a large squad that there's absolutely nothing wrong with them playing their young players. Well, yes, but what are the chances? Uh, what compared to putting out a full strength team? What are their real chances of actually winning that tie? I know, I know, young kids have got to be given their chance and all that sort of thing. But the fact that they're putting out kids, they're not doing it to give the kids a run out. They're doing it because they're not interested in winning the competition as a whole. And that, for me, leaves a nasty taste in the mouth. And, you know, we've said before, I think we said on previous um, Football Attic podcasts a long time ago, the fact that, you know, they've shifted the time of the FA Cup final, all valid points. And it, and it just <coughs> detracts from the whole thing. The League Cup doesn't seem to be of any interest to anybody until it gets to about the quarterfinal stage these days. And I don't know. I just think it's a shame because they're great old competitions and um, they're, they're worth hanging on to and they're worth treating seriously, really, because... As you yourself would know, Rich, you know, getting the chance to see your team play at Wembley is a wonderful thing. So why not actually make a go of trying to achieve it? So it's an old vote for me on this one. Indeed. So the scores are one all at the moment. We've had one, a draw. One, one. one, one for new, one <laughs> for old, one all. Uh, what have we got next, Chris? 
Um, I don't know because I haven't got the thing on my screen, but oh, I'm going to okay. look now. <laughs> okay, and it's, it's European <laughs> competitions, Chris. What have we got it's, next, it's, Chris? <laughs> it's European competitions. I it now is, have the it? details on my screen. <laughs> yes. Um, so, okay, also to follow on then, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll be brief so uh, people don't um, start um, slashing their own wrists at hearing <laughs> me for going on so long. Um, yes, so European competitions. Um, this is going to be a tricky one, possibly, and not as straightforward as perhaps I might have thought before, because, well, I mean, the first thing we have to say is exactly what you said earlier on, Rich, which is the Champions League. Yeah, bit of a misnomer, that, given that it's not just the champions that are taking part in the competition. Back in the day, uh, your European Cup seemed to work pretty well, actually, because it was a knockout competition. Therefore, you had a home and away tie. You had to actually get your result over the course of those two matches per round. And that meant that every tie had a sense of importance about it, whether it was European Cup, Cup Winners' Cup or the UEFA Cup. It didn't matter. It was knockout competition. And it was the teams that were in those competitions were there on merit. And I can honestly say I've never managed to sort of, I don't know, be settled with the whole notion of there being teams that finish second or third or fourth or whatever in their respective national leagues in the Champions League. And that is, I don't know. I mean, what, I think they could fix a lot of things if they just put the, the Champions League, I know it wouldn't work with the title or anything, but if it was a knockout competition, because everyone's moaning about having too many fixtures every season anyway. So... Why not? I know it's all to do with money before you all say, yes, I know that. I'm not that stupid. Um, but if they just went back to knockout competition, it, it you know um, brings back the, the significance of each tie. It means fewer fixtures per year. And and also you can allow yourself to have, I don't know how many teams it would be now, with the you know, Europe now being a lot more sort of divided compared to how it was in the 70s, more, more nations and all that. But um, why not do that? Um, Cup Winners Cup, I would argue, all right, yeah, a bit of a sort of unnecessary tournament, and and UEFA Cup. I think you could probably get a, get rid of the, the you know the European Cup Winners Cup and 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 go back to having European Cup and UEFA Cup, and that would work fine for me. I think just as a compromise, lose the Cup Winners Cup, keep the other two, uh, but make it knockout, <coughs> and that would solve a lot of problems. Rich, over to you. I, I'm going to differ slightly with your with your solution there because mm-hmm. I would like to see the Cup Winners' Cup back as a pure mm-hmm. knockout tournament, and the reason for that is uh, well, the reason it died was because of the Champions League, and this mm. again goes back to my point that the Champions League for me is the thing that has killed off a lot of uh, the sort of f- football that we used to love, and the reason for that is because in expanding the Champions League, uh, sorry the the Europe, well, what used to be the European Cup into teams that have finished all the way down to fourth, and mm. potentially even those who have won a cup, you know, because I think they get uh, like into the qualifying rounds now. Um, by doing that, you've then made the UEFA Cup redundant because mm. that the whole point of the UEFA Cup was it was like a right for those who finished second and third. So it yeah. meant something. You know, being in that was like, ah, oh, crap, we didn't win the league, but we still finished second and third, and now we're in the, you know, not the elite of Europe, but we're we're in this sort of, you know, almost the, the almost as good tier in Europe, and it meant something. Mm. And of course, being in the Cup Winners' Cup meant something, because it was like, okay, you didn't win the league, but you won the cup of your national, you know, your domestic cup of your country. So it meant yes. something. 
suddenly you've now got the top four teams in the Champions League. So the UEFA Cup is now, what, six and seven and possibly, well, no, five, six, maybe seven as well. So it's mm. like, you know, you're talking teams that never we even were in with a shout of winning the league. So you just, it's, there's not, they're not even runners up. They're kind of just teams that just happen to finish nowhere near the top. So the UEFA Cup mm. is immediately devalued. And of course, because of the, um, and the fact that even a cup team can get into the Champions League now, that's sort of taken the shine off the Cup Winners' Cup. And it's its just basically, it's all become about the Champions League. So realistically, I'm, su- I'm surprised they haven't just bothered to kill the UEFA Cup completely. And rebranding it as the Europa League was just, to me, that's almost like a kiss of death for it. Because mm. it's just like, that's now just like, I mean, it's just the, it's just the name of it. It's like Europa League. It's like some pathetic attempt to no we're a league as well we're it's, it's like we're we're the champions league as well but just not quite and it's just like why don't they just be done with it and call it the european league one and two because that's in fact what it is and that's what they're i mean that's ultimately what they're trying to do they're trying to expand it to the point where they have an actual european league which i don't have yeah. an issue with what i have an issue with is calling it the champions league when it isn't and I don't care about people going, oh, but it's, it's, it doesn't mean literal champions. Well, it should do. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything, does it? You know? <laughs> and, um, yeah. and of course, coming from the generation where it did mean that to then it, to still sort of, it, it annoyed me when it was still called the European Cup. Although, ironically, that had more sense than Champions League. Um, <laughs> so I, I think to me, I would like to, I would like it to go back to the old way. And, and I, but the thing is, I get other people's comments, like, when you say, but the thing is, you know, would you rather have Real Madrid and Barcelona, um, and you know, Juve and Milan and, and Inter and, and and Man U and Chelsea and that? Would you rather have all of those teams in the in the European competition, or would you rather only one from each country? And then you've got you know the the nation, you know, Azerbaijan's you know domestic winner and and Norway's domestic winner and all these kind of much smaller leagues teams. You know, is that actually fair? But hmm. I liked that because it was a democratic thing. It was like, it didn't matter how big your league was, it didn't matter who you were, you were the best in that country. So, yeah. and, and of course, the thing is, it makes no bloody difference because the reality is, if some, you know, that the winner of like, um, some very small country's league is not going to get to the final. So it was always still contested between two bigger teams. It's just that they were the actual champions of their country. Mm. So they deserve to be yes. in that tournament. So I'm sorry, I don't agree with the Champions League. Whether it's better nowadays is another matter because obviously the Champions League is incredible. It's a massive thing. And it, you know, it's hard mm. to say that actually winning that now, I mean, you could argue that winning it now is actually a, a bigger achievement because you've got so many other bigger teams in there. Yeah. But my ultimate decision is I am going to go for old on this because I think the tournaments, I think the tournaments as a whole meant more. I think the Champions League now means a lot more than it used to. Uh, by purely the fact that, like I say, you've got a lot more larger teams in it, and so winning it is is harder. But I also think that it's completely devalued the other two tournaments. I mean, one well, one's gone for one thing, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they just end up expanding the Champions League and taking out the Europa League completely. And I think that's yeah. a shame um, because I think you had three good tournaments, and now you've got one massive tournament and one completely almost irrelevant tournament, really. Um, mm. You know, you play football well, you, on a Thursday night, and no one cares. Yeah, I was just going to say that the whole thing is everyone seems to be have a bit of a downer on the uh, 
Europa League, which is a bit of a shame. But I think, I mean, ultimately, yeah, as you say, I mean, it's called you know Champions League and Europa League, and it's not a league in the sense of it. You know, it's, it, should, it should call it like the Europa Tournament or the Champions Tournament because it's groups. And I'm sorry to get picky about the kind of you know, structure and all that, but um, you know, but if they did expand it, so I said, all right, we're going to have a league. We're going to have 20 teams, and it'll be Man United and Real Madrid and blah blah blah. blah. Well, all right, fine. I mean, that's probably going to inflate the egos of those teams and their fans beyond you know comprehension. But nonetheless, at least it'll be a league. Um, but personally, I you know, I, I would, I, I am a fan of it going back to knockout competitions. Um, and if you want to be really kind of clinical about these sort of things, then forget two legs, just play it in one leg. Um, as I, th- I believe was said recently on the Sound of Football podcast, quite correctly, um, you know, the whole notion of two-legged matches was done back in the days when, you know, air travel was a big deal and, and, and therefore you had to make, you had to give teams a chance to, to play two games if they're doing a lot of traveling. If they traveled halfway across Europe and then lost their one and only tie, it would seem like a bit of a waste of time. So therefore teams were given the chance to play home and away. Well, nowadays it's not such a big deal. You know, air travel is such that it's, it's not that critical anymore. So I think even just narrowing it down to you know, luck of the draw, Man United have got to go to Cyprus to play their one and only match in the first round. Fine. One off. And if you're any good, you're going to have to beat them, you know, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I have got a thing up against European Cup Winners' Cup, by the way. I didn't particularly have a problem with that. I was just sort of trying to appease the critics who no doubt are already, uh, you know, queuing up outside my door. But, um, but as it is, um, yeah, I'm with you on this. It's, it's, um, old for me as well. Cool. Yeah. That's an old win then. Right. The next one kind of almost follows on from this money. Um, so money, m- money, 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 money. <laughs> so uh, this is a tough one because it's it's both improved the game and it's also been to the detriment of of I would say the wider game. It's certainly hmm. improved the top divisions in most countries, and I mean you can argue that it's made them less competitive. Um, because if you look at it, it realistically, is a team from outside of the big five, six, whatever we call them these days, are they ever going to win the league? Not really. Did they ever hmm. used to win the league? Not really. You know, so it's like Blackburn <laughs> won the league because they pumped loads of money into it. Um, and, you know, their legacy is that they're, they're now heading potentially towards League One, I think, at the moment. Um yeah. And okay, I suppose Leeds won. They were the, but they were a big side at the time. But ironically, it was money that ended up kind of ruining Leeds because they budgeted for being in the hmm. Champions League and didn't make it and overspent. And that's kind of, they still haven't fully recovered from that. And it's hmm. so. But at the same time, you know, is 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 the game in better health? I mean, like for instance. I'd, I'd, I'd have to be, I'm going to pin my colours to the mass and I don't think the game is in a better shape for it because I think overall there's a lot more money in the game but I think the problem is it's all concentrated too much at the top. There is, it's mm. not like everybody is richer. It's, it's far from it. And it's, 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 I think I mentioned this before on one of our previous pods that it, it, we are in a ridiculous situation whereby for a club to almost think of surviving, it has to have some wealthy benefactor coming in and pumping tons of money into it. I mean, like, you know, Coventry are down in League Two now, and unless we have someone come in 
and pump tons, you know, I'm talking millions into the club, the club could go under. I mean, that's ridiculous mm. for a, a, a fourth tier club to need millions of pounds just to survive. Mm. I'm not saying yeah. all of them do, but generally these days you have to have a lot of money. And the problem is that attendances are up on what they used to be. You know, it used to be a lot of fourth division games with like an attendance of like 800 people. But that it's just, I don't know, it seems insane. And the problem is it's all this money is based on the game continuing its popularity. If the popularity yeah. drops at all, the income that's coming in will disappear quite significantly. But it won't really hit the teams at the top because they will still have their income because the likelihood of that bubble completely bursting is, is not very high. Whereas for the teams below, they will feel the effect much more because... Uh, you know, halving of an attendance at a, a small club could financially devastate it, and they don't mm. have the money to recover. And then you can sell your players, but the, the bigger teams just sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, let's just say, it's a very capitalist society, and it is capitalism mm. in all its, almost its purest form um, <laughs> in the way that it works, apart from, because even the redistribution of wealth amongst the teams is not in any way equal. So... Mm. I, I personally think money has the the influx of money has not been to the uh, the the overall wealth of the game overall. Yes, it has brought a lot of improvements in places, and you can argue that you know, for instance, the money that's gone into Stadia um, has made them a lot safer and a lot nicer. But I think overall, money has been a a bad thing. So I would have to go for old in that one. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of ironic, really. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it's kind of ironic, really, because I remember years and years ago when I was a kid growing up and sort of you know watching West Ham and various other teams that were playing back in the day, it was almost like you knew that the game was in a fairly kind of bereft state because there was so little investment going on in, in football and at football clubs. And when it did happen, it often just sort of went down the swanee. I mean, Chelsea <coughs> supporters, I'm sure, will remember with a sense of anguish you know the money that's pumped into their new stand in the uh, i think it was the the late 70s mid 70s i think it was and which was seen to be the sort of shot in the arm that the the club needed and it nearly sort of forced them into outright debt and bankruptcy and and so you know it, back then you kind of almost yearned for a time when there was more money in the game but i think what's happened is that as Teams have been given a chance, clubs have been given a chance to um, increase their wealth a little bit through sort of TV rights and stuff like that. They've reached a point now where they don't want to just have gradual... Uh, I wouldn't say this is the case for all clubs, but a lot of clubs don't just want gradual year-on-year -year slight increase in their in their wealth. They're sort of getting a bit of money and thinking, wow, this is good, we've got... We've got we, we're getting more money here. Let's let's see if we can get loads more money. Like it's as if like a little bit of gradual improvement is not good enough. And they're as you say, like with the case of teams like Leeds, that overreach themselves because they've suddenly got the pound signs and dollar signs in their eyes, and they suddenly think we need as much of this money as possible. And that's kind of what has driven a lot of these teams to rack and ruin. It's just um, they've lost focus on what they should be doing because it's all about the pursuit of money. Um, but um, uh, there was a point I was going to make, and I can't remember what it was now. I'm sure it will come back to me. But um, anyway, um, yeah, um, I don't know. I, I mean, it's it's 
finding the right balance. I mean, obviously the money in the game, which I think perhaps you alluded to early on there, Rich, is that the amount of money in the game now means that a lot of teams can now bring in foreign players, exciting talent to their teams, which, if you're a spectator, is a wonderful thing. Um, but, of course, as we know, that's not necessarily, and this is nothing about foreign players, I'm not sort of getting xenophobic or anything, it's just it's an automatic assumption that decent players... Um, probably should be foreign because they're cheaper to purchase than the younger talent that's in in England, you know, and and so everything's out of whack. Um, so there seems to be more focus on foreign foreign players, and um, and clubs can buy anybody they like now from any club around the world because they've got the money to do it, and it's good, but it's not good really. Um, there was a point I was going to make, and it's, it's still not coming back to mind. It'll probably come back to me eventually. But um, needless to say, um, I think there's nothing wrong with money in the game as long as it's um, attained in the right proportions and at the right rate. Um, but um, such is the clamour for, for Premier League football. You do sort of think, I don't know about you, Rich, but you do sort of occasionally think, when is this bubble going to burst? Because surely it's got to burst at some point. And it just never seems to. We just seem to roll on from one year to the next and... Things just sort of get, you know, bigger and bigger. But yeah, I think just for the crassness and the and the clamour for more and more money for for so many teams, I would have to say old again. I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, I think you made a very good point, Chris, which is about the fact that you know back in the day there was a there was very much desperate need for a, a, some decent investment. I mean, stadiums were crumbling, and and the, this the game, especially in the eighties, was in a very poor state. But like I say, there was clear investment needed, but I think the problem is the way that it's gone is it's it's gone too much to the top, um, hmm. and I, like you say, I can't really see that changing because why would a team at the top earning tons of money suddenly become all altruistic and go, yeah, you know what, I'm going to give some of that out? It, that's not the society we live in, you know. So, hmm. so yeah, so because of yeah. that, you know, nothing was perfect back in the day, but I think the way that the game has gone in terms of money is is for the detriment of of the whole game. So, old yep. takes it again. I think that's probably actually. I'm just trying to think. Well, that that may have been the point I was going to make about the the. Oh, that's right. That's it's come back to me. I knew it would. I'm not going completely senile. <laughs> um, the phrase parachute payment. Now you know that you have, you have, you, the sport's in trouble when you've got phrases like that banding around and and the, the significance that's attached to that. And you just think, in some ways, although football was a bit poorer back back in the day, um, at least the, the focus was seemed to be on the right things really, and and actually going to watch the football and and you know appreciating the homegrown players. And again, I know it sounds terribly xenophobic, but just. It, you know, local players, local kids that have been brought through the ranks and stuff like that. So it was all the the focus was on the right priorities. So um, no, thank you. Don't want a parachute payment. I think we'll just sort of you know go on uh, on our merits. I think as far as clubs are concerned. Right, that was the point I was going to make. Move on. Good. Right, we come next to football on TV. Yes. Well, there's a complicated one, and and to that end, I think we've sort of split this one up into three sort of subcategories, haven't we? Um, yes. So what we've got really, we'll go with the first one of those and that's commentary. Let's start with football commentary. What's your views on that, Rich? Uh, for me, this is a clear win for old, uh, because I can't <laughs> stand most modern commentary. I, I, uh, I, I made a point a while ago. I was watching when ESPN Classic was still around. Uh, I was mm. watching an old game, which was, uh, I mean, again, this sort of shows part of the, uh, 
the how the, the state of the game in the in the late eighties. It was a, a World Cup qualifier, and it was England versus Poland, um, and it was at oh. Wembley, and the attendance was about fifteen thousand. <laughs> it's like you know, I, a lot of people will never would probably never believe that. You know, they think when you know they don't fill Wembley for a, a, a semi final of something, you know, that that's a bad thing. But we're talking like oh. England matches used to get like an average of about fifteen to twenty thousand people turning up, and they were terrible matches usually as well. <laughs> um, but the commentator was John Motson, and it was just John Motson, and I think he. I can't remember if he had a co-commentator. He might have done... But it was literally... There were long periods of silence in the match. If nothing was happening, he wasn't saying anything. Because hmm. they didn't feel the need to fill every single second with inane facts or banter or chat. It was just... He was telling what was going on in the game. And that's... I suppose that makes me sound really old-fashioned. And I'm not saying that there isn't room for banter and everything, because that's, that's fine. But it's just just shut up sometimes you know it's like <laughs> don't talk all the way through it it we're watching a football match you don't go to like the, you know you don't go to the theater and have someone sit next to you describing what's happening and it's it's, it's one of those odd things <laughs> <laughs> well i suppose it depends who you go to the cinema with or the theater <laughs> or whatever you know um but it's like it's it's a really odd thing that we have commentary i suppose because it would have come up from the radio where obviously you had to have it because people couldn't see it but then mm. if you think about it do we necessarily need commentators on the telly because <laughs> we can see what's going on okay it's useful to have things explained like sometimes you can't always see i mean i have actually watched matches i think during the 2006 world cup where you could turn the sound off you could have just mm. the crowd noise and yes it did get a bit confusing at times because you obviously you'd see a foul and you wouldn't quite know what happened, but then you'd see the replays. But if you go to a football match, you don't have commentators sitting next to you telling you what's going on. So they're almost redundant in a sense. But I just like the fact that when I watched this old match, I heard what I needed to hear. I didn't have tons of other crap, endless waffle about stuff. And it wasn't Jonathan Pierce. <laughs> Although I suppose you could argue Dear, that he again. is actually a product of old days now because he kind of, sort of came about in the mid nineties. But, but yeah. So I, for me, I, I much prefer the old style, and I, I, I think kind of the sort of point probably in the mid, the sort of late eighties, early nineties is probably for me the sweet spot. I think possibly before that it might have been a little bit too. I, th- I don't know. I think from the seventies onwards it was probably at the right point. You know, it was kind of mm. you, you were told what you needed to know, and there was a bit of. You know, Someone and one co-commentator works fine for me. That's all you need. You don't need like three other people waffling on and giving their opinions. But I don't care yes. if that makes me sound old-fashioned. That's what I'm going for. So for me, old wins. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, again inclined to agree. I know we're now we are reverting to rampant nostalgia, um, but uh, in our views. But yeah, um, can't really disagree with anything you said there. Really, I mean, I, I for me, I think that sort of turn of the seventies into the eighties was a great period of commentary in terms of you know as you just said really the, the commentator telling you what you needed to know and nothing more and when he and when the commentator did speak he would enhance your interpretation of the game by giving you information um, like even like incidental stuff like the, the the atmosphere in the in the stadium and and even sort of stuff about players that you didn't no, and I mean, and I'm not talking about statistics of like this is now the fourth game that Joe Bloggs has played and and you know hasn't been substituted in or something. He would sort of say about you know, it would, often the the commentators would sort of tell you stuff about the player like 
the yeah, you know, I don't know the town he was born in, or who I don't know who he went to school with, or something. It was it was sort of nice, sort of incidental stuff, but you wouldn't get much of it because, as you said, the com- the commentator tended to focus on the match. Uh, they wanted to somehow just sort of squeeze out a little bit of, I don't know, interest in the game without having to describe every single detail, all the last season statistics for each team and player and stuff. There were silences, there were breaks in their commentary to allow you the time to think. Remember that one, everyone. When you could actually think while watching a football match. And, and, and as for like co-commentators and color commentators, well, it's just, I think it's such in a, such a terrible state nowadays that literally every single match you see on TV has to have a commentator and a co-commentator. And the sad thing is, that there aren't many co-commentators that are actually good enough to do the job because quite often they're ex-players and they're appointed that role purely for that reason. And unfortunately, they seem to have forgotten a lot of, you know, what made the, the, you know, what gave them the joy of actually playing football. They don't seem to be able to convey how great it was to play football. They fall into the same trap of thinking, well, I need to do some research on statistics in order to be able to, you know, when the commentator says, what do you think? He, the, the initial reaction is just to spout this waffle. There's no real sense of passion for what a great game we're watching or, or even to say why this is a terrible game. It's just sort of dreary rubbish. Don't need, don't need a colour commentator or a co-commentator. Let's just have a commentator that knows when to talk and when not to talk. So old for me on that one. Indeed. Next, coverage. Coverage. Now, yeah. I'm, I mean, admittedly, I'm a little bit detached from this because I've not seen a lot of um, football from a UK perspective for getting on for five years now. So I'm kind of going on sort of memory, really. But, but having said that, as I mentioned earlier on, I get to see be in sports uh, over here. And I suspect their coverage is not dissimilar to, say, Sky Sports in the UK. But um, over-stylized to the point of being ridiculous. It seems now like you can't have a TV studio to talk about football that hasn't got a massive uh, flat screen TV and computer system integrated into it where they can prod and poke around on the screen and do little tactics diagrams and all that bullshit. Um, it's and and again even the conversation that's had between a presenter and any invited guests is much the same as what I was just saying a moment ago. Um, it's it's almost like the focus is on modernity and technology whereas Back in the seventies, for instance, you you know it was just maybe one one presenter, a co-presenter, or maybe an invited guest, but it was kept to a minimum. Though the main focus was on showing you the football, not so much on the waffle, uh, say at half time or before and after the game. And and again, it's lost its way. It's, I know it sounds like a you know confused old man, but it was that that for me that was it was better. It was much more sort of economical back in the old days because. They knew that people wanted to, if they wanted to sort of sit at home and watch two men talking about football, um, then they had that, that conversation had to be interesting enough to hold, hold their interest. Now it's just like, oh, we'll, we'll get uh, Gary Neville on and, or I'm not, I'm nothing against Gary Neville, but whoever, you know, Graham Soonis. Oh, that'll do. Right. That's that box ticks and we'll get them to talk for 25 minutes. Um, no need. What's your view? Uh, pretty much the same. Um, I mean, if you go very far back in, into the past, like you know, sort of 
the 70s, then the coverage was incredibly staid. Um, <laughs> but I just think it's so overhyped. It's again, it's it's just it's just the self, sense of self-importance that gets to me. It's just that kind mm-hmm. of this is the most important thing in the world, and the sort of wall-to-wall. You know, and the, the hype about it all and just kind of, you know, Super Sunday and all this crap. <laughs> it's just, it just tires me out. Man, that does make me sound old, doesn't it? It just makes me <laughs> tired. So, yeah, I don't really have much more to add other than what you said. So I, I would have to go for old on that as well. Um, just purely because, again, similar to the commentary, the sort of overhypedness and the oversaturation. So another mm. one for old. However, when we come to the, the last one that we've broken this down to, which is quantity. Now, mm. I'm actually <laughs> going to go for new, because even though I actually think, like everything else with, that we've talked about about football on TV, it is massively oversaturated. I think there is too much football on telly. Now, some people would say that's not possible, but I do <laughs> think there is too much of it in the sense that it's like wall-to-wall football. It's like on all the time. And the other issue I have with it is the fact that it's not on terrestrial, whereas, mm. you know, so you have to pay to watch it doesn't matter if it's BT or Sky, you have to pay to watch. And now, with the Champions League, is not even on terrestrial either. Um, <laughs> thankfully, the FA Cup still is. Um, but at the same time, would I want to particularly go back to, say, the sort of 70s when there was no live TV, uh, football that much? Apart from, was the big match live? I think it was occasionally, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, um, early 80s, yeah. Yeah, and then and obviously the sort of mid to late 80s where there was about 10 games a season. Would I, would I, do I think that's better? No, not really. I do. I, I, I think if like if you had to choose one, I would go for new because I would rather have wall-to-wall football if for football fans and the availability of it, even if it's mostly paid for. But then to be fair, most TV, you know, like Sky has been around for a long time now, and you know people will pay for things like that, and and that seems to be the way that the world is going. So would I? choose that or would I choose you know eight games a season or something and most of those were probably crap no I wouldn't I'd go for modern so I may this not like int- pro- I may not like the product but I think that the, the availability of it is, is much better yeah um, no I was just going to say I'm, I'm, this is a really fascinating one for me because um, it's it's not quite so cut and dried for me to work out which I prefer because um, I mean, fundamentally, I agree with you, actually, in, in the sense that yeah, the, the, the fact that you can watch football virtually every day of the week from any corner of the globe you like uh, to say, you know, that's just sort of satellite TV and that's before you even get on the Internet um, is amazing. And if you just said to me, my, you know, my nine year old self that this day would come. I probably would have wet myself with excitement right there and then on the spot. Um but the thing is that the reason I'm a bit sort of tired about this is back in like the seventies when you used to have sort of match of the day on a Saturday night showing highlights of two or three games, ditto for the big match in London at least on a Sunday afternoon. And the only sort of live game really would have been the FA Cup final that back in, back in those times, even the League Cup final for a long time wasn't live. They would just bung it on in highlights form, say on a Saturday night or a Sunday night. Um, it wasn't till about 83, I think, that they actually started showing the, the League Cup live. Um, and you might think, oh, how terrible, you know, that you only, you, most of the time you had to wait until a Saturday night or a Sunday afternoon to see just a couple of highlights of, of games 
Yeah, it was, but at the same time, certainly, at least as a... Ooh. That's my fire alarm going off. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have to evacuate... Oh, no, we have to... You are. What's broccoli? Uh, oh no, sorry. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> oh, for God's oh, sake. Now look, I'm sorry, I'm not happy about this. <laughs> um, oh my God, I can smell it. It sounds like someone's making a bloody lamb roast or something. <laughs> Better not be, that's mm. not dinner. Anyway. Yes, um, I'll continue. Um, yeah, yeah the, the, the fact is that, alright, yes, you had to wait until um, the weekend just to see highlights of a couple of games. And that's not the best situation to be in, let's face it. Because you, if you like football, if you love football, you want to see sort of as much of it as possible. But what I would say is that when you were like eight or nine back then in the 70s, you had the rest of the week to sort of develop that hunger for the game and to paint the pictures in your mind of what football must be like because you weren't getting to see it very much on TV. Um So therefore you had to sort of... Like I say, paint the pictures in your mind and, and, and sort of develop that real passion that you had for it. And then so that when the weekend did come around, you were really like you had this ravenous appetite to want to watch the football. Um, but I do have to come back to the original point, which is that um, as a kid, I would have loved the chance to just be able to turn my, a channel on my TV and know that I could watch a team like, I don't know, Anderlecht or, I don't know, Barcelona or, you know, which now you can do so easily or you can go on the internet and find it so easily. Um, that would have, it would, that was like a dream for me to have access to football on that level. And we've actually got it now. So just shading it, I think I would go for new on, in terms of amount. Well, this brings us to an interesting point then, because obviously they were all subcategories of football on TV, so now we have to make a decision on the whole concept of football on TV, which, mm. if you look at the three subjects, it's two to one for old. Mm. But I would caveat that with saying we could apply a weighting to those. Is commentary a massive thing? Is coverage a massive thing? Or does quantity outweigh it all? Because I think if I had to go for would I prefer football in the old days or would I prefer it now on TV I would have to say I would say modern football wins on TV mm. purely because as an overall I would say the quantity and availability of it thing. yeah I would say outweighs the other two I can put up with annoying commentary and I can put up with um, poor coverage because I don't have to watch the coverage I can switch off when that's on but mm. would I want to go back to a time when there was only 10 games on a season plus, you know, a couple of European finals and things like that? I don't think I would. So I would have to mm. say that as an overall, despite two of the categories being old, I would say that quantity is is far more important. And therefore, mm. I personally would actually have to go for new for overall on football on TV. Do you know what? I'm inclined to agree, actually. I think quantity is the most important thing because if you like your football, you, you want to see it, as I say. Um, I would say commentary would be second highest priority and probably coverage third. But um, let's say overall, football on TV, new gets the thumbs up. Who'd have thunk it? Right, <laughs> so we move on from, from one form of media or one medium to another, which is publications, specifically mags. Uh, and the reason I've picked mags is because obviously books 
Actually, we could do books as well, actually. We could do mags and books. There we go. So we've just split this into two as well. <laughs> uh, so magazines, first of all, Chris. Now, I think we, we did one on... I think we actually covered magazines before, and I don't think... You, I think you got like shoot and match and stuff like that, but I don't think you were particularly into the sort of the later on ones, the sort of like the like four four two and gold and things like that. Yeah, um, I pretty much went from sort of shoot and match to world soccer. I remember dis- discovering world soccer in my local W H Smith news agent when I was about fourteen, and thinking, "What's this?" It was almost like kind of. I was just about to say, like an adult magazine, but I don't mean it like that. I mean an, an adult football magazine. Um, yeah. um, and being totally entranced by all these foreign sounding teams in the back of World Soccer magazine back in the mid 80s and probably before that and after, there were lots of listings of league tables in the back and, and for, you know, in countries that you ordinarily wouldn't have any interest in. And, um, so, World soccer seemed to be like a really sort of serious but very thorough um, magazine if you're into football as a kid. And, and as you say before, that shoot and match, which kind of took a lighter touch on things, but mo- probably focused more on the imagery of British football rather than statistics and, and essay pieces like you would find in world soccer. So, um, you know, nowadays, I mean, you can still get world soccer, but it's a lot more slick um, but in a funny sort of way, it's lost a little bit of its charm. It, I used to like it in the old days when it was printed on rough paper, and but you used to you know read the, the the articles in World Soccer and and think, wow, this is a real insight into a world that I know little about. Whereas now, maybe it's because now if you read World Soccer, you you sort of know you know the internet and stuff. You you've kind of got an awareness already of how many goals Leo Messi has scored or whatever. So it's it may be the dependency on it is not there and obviously for shoot and match magazine um yeah we're not kids anymore so we don't well i don't buy it anymore i don't know about you rich but um um so um i'm i'm finding this a really difficult one to kind of vote on i'm going to hand over to you and and do a bit of ruminating myself if that's all right i'll I'll try not to go blind that is fine um well for me as someone that used to get shoot and match uh, when I was a child and then actually moved on in my sort of teens and, and t- student years of getting um, goal and, and 90 minutes and total football and 4-4-2, um, I, I would have to say, and I'm including those in old, by the way, even though it was kind of early to mid-90s, it's like I'm including that in old because it's old for me. Um, yes. And... I, I would have to go for old because I I think the the biggest reason why I mean the funny thing is I was about to say like for me match and shoot were aimed at kids but they were aimed at kids to read they weren't aimed at kids to get excited by flashy graphics and ridiculous cartoon characters even though they had DJ Bear the panda um, <laughs> oh, but it's like DJ there was actual Bear. there was actual content in there there was a lot of adverts you know I think when we wrote an article for Backpass magazine. Um, a couple of years ago, and we did about the best and worst of shoot. We actually mentioned there were there were tons of adverts back then, um, but there was mm. still a lot of content. You know, there was a lot of writing in it. There was a lot of opinion pieces. If you actually pick up Match Magazine now, because shoot's gone, um, mm. it's it's just cack. It's like a cartoon. You know, it's just awful. And but the thing is, it still exists. And obviously, and 
we have to temper this, of course, with the fact that there were more publications back in the day because there was no internet. You know, a lot mm. of people will get their stuff off the internet these days. That's fine. However, we are comparing, you know, I suppose you could almost say it's a bit like the Premier League and, you know, the old leagues, like it's comparing oranges and apples because they're two completely different things nowadays. But I, the fact that match still exists, and I know they have to move with the times, but I don't think they have to have dumbed it down as much as they have. It's like... I used to really enjoy reading Match and, re- you know, I didn't just, I mean, nowadays you can get Match and you can have read it within 20 minutes. And mm. I don't mean because you're, if you're a fast reader, I mean, literally there's nothing to read. It's just all <laughs> pictures and crap and just, it's just awful. And the thing is, I would say that, you know, when you look at publications you have now, you've still got 442, which, again, I, I, I think is nowhere near as good as it used to be. It's a lot more adverts, a lot more features and, you know, kind of, flashy stuff but it's still half decent um you've still you've got when saturday comes that existed back in the day as well i'd, I'd mm-hmm. say it's a you know a, still a very strong publication um obviously when it started in the mid 80s it was it was for fanzine so but it still existed and again world soccer is a very good magazine these days you know or, yes. but it always was it always existed so all the stuff that we have now was stuff that used to exist but we had more back then so hmm. In isolation, I would have to go for old because I think the quality was better um, overall for children, certainly, which is, you know, who mostly magazines are, you know, that's your your entry point. And obviously the quantity was higher. Now, we know why that is, so it seems maybe a bit unfair to penalise modern, but we have to take it on its merits. So I would say that while we do have good stuff nowadays... Um, and of course, we do have other magazines like Late Tackle, and and I mm. think that there seems to be quite a few, um, you know, more sort of e magazines popping up. And I think, like, obviously, you've got Backpass, although ironically, mm. Backpass looks back at the old days, and <laughs> you've got Soccerama, which is published as well. Um, but I, I for this, I'm kind of keeping it down to ones that you find in news agents, you know. Mm. So obviously, Backpass does get in. But I'm, I'm keeping. I'm kind of not going for internet publications like Pickles magazines and things like that, and yeah. you know other ones like that. So I'm doing it purely on ones you can get in the shop. And I would have to say that I did prefer older the stuff then. Hmm. Well, I, I was just going to say the the only thing I would say is that um, from what I can recall, at least my previous last days in the UK is that um, there seemed to be a lot more diversification going on nowadays and that you can now get magazines about Chelsea, official Chelsea magazines or Arsenal or there's an official Champions League magazine. A lot, There's a lot more magazines that you can buy now which are specifically produced by clubs for their fans and I can honestly say I've not read very many of them. There's a West Ham magazine. Who'd want to buy that? Um, but... Mm. Um, but the, I don't know what the, I, I can only guess that the content of those sort of magazines is going to be like 442, which I'm sorry to say is largely advertising material. I'm sorry to say that. I mean, the, I'm sure the articles and the interviews and all the rest of it, fine. But if you were to extract those from the magazine itself, I think, and, and then look at how many pages you've got in front of you, of pa- you know, how many pieces of paper in front of you, it probably wouldn't be that many because it's, there are so many adverts in these magazines nowadays and and um while on the one hand diversification and providing more options for people is great it doesn't necessarily equate to being a good thing if the actual content is weakened by advertising filler and for that reason i'd probably go for old as well 
Well, actually, you just made a very good point, which I hadn't considered, which was the diversification you get these days. So I was almost prepared to call it a draw. <laughs> but I think the key point is, is that I think the quality of publications such as those are not as good as what they used to be. Mm. So, yes, you can get a lot more. But like you said, I, I honestly think the, the club mags that you get, I, I I haven't really looked at them, but I'm, I'm making an assumption. And yes, it is an assumption, but I'm making an assumption that they are mostly filler <laughs> and mm. crap um, because that's the kind <laughs> of style that people go for. So I will still call old. So are we, are we yeah. are agreeing on old for magazines then? Yeah, I reckon so. Sorted. Right. So, other paper media, books. Um, hmm. I'll go first on this. I think well, I... books are better now. Yes, go on. Oh, go on. I was, was going to say, I think, now. I think books are better now. Uh, there are a lot more, I would say, available than there used to be. And I would say the actual, the quality is, is better. I'm discounting for when I say quality about player autobiographies, because <laughs> most of those, well, it depends on who it is. If it's some kind of puff piece for like, um, you know, like, I don't know, whoever, you know, Ronaldo or something like that, you can guarantee it's going to be all kind of carefully stage managed and it'll be boring as hell. But if you're talking about like, you know, a lot of the ones that you you have, uh, say like Paul McGrath and things like that, which are a lot more interesting and are a lot more human, um, then actually they're, they're good. Uh but I just, I just think there's so much you can get now, and the quality hasn't diminished. Unlike, because of course, you know, magazines are sold on advertising, books are not, and therefore you don't have books crammed with adverts. I mean, you might get product placement in some of them, um, but they're not crammed with adverts. So I would say the quality of books hasn't mm. gone down, and in fact, I would actually say the quality of the diversity and the quality of the writing, I would say, has probably gone up because there are a lot. A lot of books now that you can get on on a, a huge range of subjects, mm. but the writing is still really good as as a whole, you know. And and there are a lot of very well researched books, very well written, and you know, it's. I, I would say that we're a, we're in a much better place books now than we ever were, is my opinion. Hmm. Um, I agree with you that there's there are quite a few. There's a hell of a lot of different subjects now covered by books. I mean. Back in the day when we were kids, the sort of books you'd find were either, you know, a few player um, autobiographies and stuff like that. And a lot of those were sort of ghost written as well. <laughs> you have to sort of bear in mind. Um, or they were sort of statistical books, reference books and things like that. Uh, history books about football. Um, nowadays, the, the variation is, is much higher and the subject matter is, is 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 spread far wider, and as I think, I, I'm inclined to agree. You know, the the quality of the writing, I would say, is largely a lot better. I think a lot of the books that were around, say, in the 70s, um, football books would have been sort of written by, especially football annuals and stuff, like the like of which we'd have got at Christmas as a stocking filler. Were a lot of those were just written by Fleet Street hacks. Um, sort of working as a sort of conglomerate, but just sort of pooling their efforts because they could get access to picture libraries and they could write off, you know, a couple of hundred words on George Best or something. And it was all a bit kind of, I don't know, seemed a bit sort of by the numbers really. But I think nowadays when you're looking at books, um, there's, a, there's just a far greater variety around. I mean, anything from football nostalgia to, as you say, sort of... Um, books about particular teams or particular uh, players and 
I don't know. I, I think I think things have improved considerably in that time. There were some great books back in the day, and, and which is obviously still around on eBay and the like, so you can still sort of be nostalgic and pick up all those old books. But um, generally speaking, I think the quality is higher nowadays, so I will go for new. Cool. We are once again agreed. Uh, the <laughs> next one we've got is a bit of a, a bit of a cheeky one. Internet coverage. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't very good back in my day. <laughs> No, I've got to say, you know, the internet coverage when I was a child was utterly appalling. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I think think we can chalk that one up to new. (laughs) Yes, I think so. Um, What did we have in terms of the equivalent to the internet coverage probably back in the day? Oracle and Teletext would be sort of one thing. Um, I think our uh, our follower and... um, It's it's not good calling people followers because it's like we're considering ourselves to be religious you know, entities or something, but anyway. I, I am. I, I thought this was a cult. I thought that's why we started it. <laughs> no, no, you didn't hear me right. When you th- <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I'm very pleased to say that a lot of the people that used to listen in to our original podcast are still with us to this day, following following along for the ride. And um, Matthew Christ, I think it was, uh, suggested uh, for, for this podcast when we were talking about old versus new and he was sort of suggesting stuff like um, Club Call which uh, which really takes me whenever anybody mentions Club Call that just takes me back phone numbers you could ring to hear a pre-recorded message with the latest news from your club and um, it it's kind of it brings it always puts a smile on my smile on my face that when I think back but it was a bit it was a bit, bit oh, I can't even say it it was a bit weak wasn't it um, I think Yes, there's a lot of dross on the internet, but um, as, as long as you know where to go and if you've picked your favoured sources, um, most of the time it will be better than the likes of um, Club Call. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, well, I've, ju- I've just changed the title of that subject that we're actually talking about to online with speech marks because actually that's it's a very valid point. Yes, obviously we didn't have any internet coverage, but we did have... You know what you would call, I suppose, live coverage. You know, up, mm. I don't know what we'd call. It. Let's just call it online coverage. We know what we mean, like you say, mm. teletext and club call and things like that. Um, yep. Teletext. I was an absolute teletext junkie. Every single day, I'd be on there. Um, <laughs> yeah. I believe it was was it page three hundred two for sports. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and I think it was one forty on um, Oracle. I think it was on the uh, something like that. Yes, yeah. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong on that. Three hundred two was the CFAX, and I think one forty was teletext. Um, so yeah, <laughs> as you can tell, I used to use it a lot and it was great, you know, and I, there were several days when yeah. I would have, and I, I know I'm not the only person that would have the screen, uh, with the live scores coming up before the actual, uh, final score program kicked in because final score <laughs> used to be literally final score almost, you know, in the last five minutes of the game rather than right. two hours before. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think an awful lot of people of our generation would have followed things on teletext. But nostalgia aside, it was incredibly frustrating because half the time you'd, you know, you'd have to refresh the page or you'd have to hold it because you'd just be trying to see the results and then it would move on. And then half the time it wouldn't update properly or you'd hold and then you'd forget you got it on hold and then you'd be thinking, oh, nothing's happening. And then you'd release it and then all the scores had changed. It's like, but it was, it was fun, but it's no, it's nowhere near comparable to the online coverage we have now. So it, it is a clear winner for, for new on that one. And at that point, we're going to leave our old versus new debate with the score standing at 4-4. Will the football of yesteryear prove to be better than the modern day equivalent? Or will the likes of video games, football stadia and football kits win the day for today's football? 
All will be revealed in part two of our special edition of the Football Attic podcast, available soon via iTunes and the Football Attic website, www.thefootballattic.com. From me, Chris Oakley, until next time, it's goodbye to you all.